Gimmick Tree Entertainment presents the first annual Bruiser Brody Cup, January 25th at the Lithuanian Music Hall, located at 2715 Allegheny Avenue in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Doors open at 7 p.m. bell time at 8.30. The event features a tournament honoring the legendary Bruiser Brody, featuring two fatal four-way elimination matches to determine the final one-on-one matchup to crown the first ever Bruiser Brody Cup winner. In non-tournament matches, Eddie Edwards has accepted the open challenge from modern vintage wrestling champion Joey Lynch. Other stars that have been confirmed, King Kong Bundy, NWA women's champion Jazz, ECW legend The Sandman, and the Impact Wrestling Hall of Famer himself, The Monster Abyss. For more information, go to realgimmicktree.com. Again, that's realgimmicktree.com. Do not miss the Bruiser Brody Memorial Cup. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you was a great athlete in the franchise and he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time he is the franchise shane douglas and you are listening to the triple threat podcast prepare to get your ass franchised Get it rolling right here, right now. Is that your smoke alarm? Whose smoke alarm is that? Anybody? Your smoke alarm. Somebody's beeping in the background. Prime time, is that you? It is not me. I didn't hear it either. I'm hearing a beep in the background, like it's a smoke alarm or something. Like you got to change your batteries. Be, it might be all in your head. I, I guess it is. I don't have. Beep. Oh, there. Oh, there it was. <laughs> there it was. I must be hearing things. I don't. I haven't heard anything, so I don't know. Okay. Well, if we hear it during the show, somebody will tell us about it. I'm sure. So. uh that's the way the cookie crumbles. All right, let's get it rolling right here. See, there it was again. There it was again. All right, let's get it rolling. What the fuck are you? Are you ripping me? I swear, I hear a beep. Who else is on the damn phone? Who else is on the phone? My are we getting... Brent get, is already frozen. NSA's on here. Fuck off, NSA. Are we getting tapped? I think we're getting tapped. All right, let's... Let's let's not beat around a bush. Let's get into this right now. Welcome in to the Triple Threat Podcast. It's episode 75, starting hot and heavy on the Triple Threat Podcast here. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP, John Paz. And not to be outshined as the one and only, our co-host on this show is the absolute icon of Extreme Championship Wrestling. We just saw him in the hallowed halls of the ECW arena less than a week ago. 
He is the one and only franchise, Shane Douglas. Shane, welcome to episode 75. Hey, you missed somebody. You missed uh, our fourth guest here this week. <laughs> Live and in living color, listening in is the NSA. Welcome, NSA. Glad to have you on with us, everybody. So, Big Brother here, live and in living color. <laughs> the NSA might be tapping us. It might be somebody, Big Brother. I don't know, but I hear a beep, and it's driving me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they are listening in, uh, from the bottom of the franchise's heart, kiss my fucking ass. And then listen along and learn. Because you might learn something here on this show. we got a lot of smart guys on this show. I'm not one of them, but we got a we got a lot of smart guys that come on this show. The Bill Cosby quote comes to mind, but I don't know if we're allowed to talk about him anymore. <laughs> Yo, God, are you kidding me? Bill Cosby, I, you know the stuff he's done, right? <laughs> uh, television show, 1980s comedian, what, anything else? <laughs> Fat Albert was my favorite. Oh, gotta love Fat Albert. But yeah, here, we're here on episode number 75 of the Triple Threat Podcast, coming off a huge weekend, an actually very, very fun weekend in Philadelphia at the ECW Arena, another successful Icons convention. The boys uh, run the Icons convention, do a great job, and uh, we left very happy that day. That's all. I'll just leave it at that. But uh, very cool working with Bob Backlund, again, working with the great King Kong Bundy. And Shane, you guys were holding court, literally an extreme wing of the building was was you and your cohorts on the other side across from the guy i didn't even get a chance to see lenny dykstra which i love but i didn't get a chance to see him but it was a great weekend well we had lenny dykstra right across from us and the best part of that was at our table of course we had uh all ecw champions uh mikey whipwreck jerry lynn sandman a certain franchise we all know uh and you know sandman the, the best was sandman going over and talking to Leonard Dykstra, you know, two Philadelphia icons, right? You know, the meeting of the minds right there. Uh, it was just, you know, surreal to see, you know, when you have the Sandman and Lenny Dykstra, two, like I said, huge Philadelphia icons, uh, meeting in front of you, it just sort of takes on sort of a surreal uh, uh, aspect. But, uh, you know, I, I did just hear the beep that you're talking about now, so I don't know if you've gotten into my head. Did you hear it, JP? It's it's got to be coming from JP. That. I did hear that. See there, it is the NSA. I knew it. Spying <laughs> on us. <laughs> yeah, come on, nails in the sand, man. That's was, great. How was it, Mr. Bob Backlund and and uh, King Kong Bundy? Because I, I I've known them both for years. Love them both. Great guys. How was your experience with them? Oh, they were great, John. I mean, John and King Kong Bundy are like peas and carrots these days, but. Those stories can go. Those stories are starting to become the thing of legend. But I think the the interaction with Bob Backlund uh, in itself was um, was just quite the experience, John. I mean, you know, we've talked about it a couple times this week. I mean, we've worked with a ton of guys over the last four years and starting to do the convention scene and promoting the podcast and also giving guys the opportunity to promote their different platforms. And in this case, Bob Backlund's got a book out that's been out for about two years, maybe two and a half. And uh, to watch Bob Backlund go into pitch mode is uh, is a thing of beauty, John. I know you were right up there, uh, you know, with a, with a bird's eye view to see Mr. Backlund kind of uh, doing his thing selling that book. I love it. Such an old school uh, wrestler, salesman-like mentality. He wanted those people to buy that book. And people were buying that book in droves. I know this is going <laughs> to come up. Shane, you know where I'm coming from this one. And it's going to come up harsh. And 
no offense to anybody from Philly. Shane, you know people in Philadelphia don't read, so them buying back on the book is, is pretty great. <laughs> How many did he sell? Uh, he probably sold about 25 books. No kidding. That's fantastic, man. That's, uh, it must have a lot of pictures in it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I think we're on to something here. I think we're uh, uncovering the uh, the big story here. What was funny was, so he was wearing a red hat. So obviously he wears, you know, the red suspenders and, you know, the red plays into the uh, the Mr. Backlund persona, the red tights that he had all those years. So as John, uh, John you were actually there, was Bundy was starting to leave and Bundy was heading outside. He just stops and he says to him, he goes, Bob, what's with the hat? <laughs> I and, and you know me, I'm very, I'm very partial to a hat. So he just, he stops at Dennis tracks and says, Bob, what's with the hat? And Bob looks at him. He goes, D- dead serious, no hesitation. He goes, I forgot my bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous. Uh, it was a great, uh, yeah, it was a great day overall. Was so busy. I mean, just trying to get around uh, all the different, you know, just waves of fans that we had. And then, you know, our good buddy David Arquette popped in next to us. So there was a huge David Arquette line. And again, it, and we've talked about it, I mean, what, a two dozen, three dozen times on the show about how special these conventions are. And it never ceases to amaze me, especially even during the holiday season, how you get so many fans to come in and they want to get the experience. They want to get the time to talk and you see it, you know, every time it never fails. There's somebody who reaches out and touches their hero. I, I heard it all day with Bob Backlund, you know, he inspired me for this or he helped me get through this time. And those Philadelphia right. fans, you know it well, Shane, very dedicated and they don't forget a thing. No, absolutely. Uh, the, you know, just a, a sidebar just popped into my head. Uh, uh, I, we had left already, but has there been any more uh, update on Big Cass? Uh, John, I don't know. Have you seen anything? No, the only thing I saw was that Dreamer put that he's okay and doing better. That's the only update I saw. Um, it seemed like a lot of people you know, were trying to take a video and post videos of him. But the only thing yeah, I saw was basically Dreamer telling everyone you know, to relax that he's, uh, that he's doing okay. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that guy. I, I've never met him that I know of, uh, but I did see the videos. We were leaving and driving to the to the show that night in uh, Long Island, and you know, I saw the video that somebody had posted. My, you know, aside from my first thought being like, who would video this? You know, like, I mean, this is mm. you got a human being on the on the ground convulsing. Like, I, hey, let me pull out my camera and film this because I might be able to get some views on on youtube just uh, astounding to me but uh it was really hard to watch you know like i to, like, to see somebody in that condition uh you know my heart broke for him you know and and, and seeing that uh i like i said I, I don't know him uh but i you know just seeing that i don't want to see anybody go through that kind of thing and i i you know my heartfelt uh uh sincerest uh wishes for him to get better and and to feel well, uh, especially this time of year, you know, but uh, that was just a really horrendous thing to watch. Yeah, definitely uh, brutal. But, Shane, on, on a lighter note, I did talk to Bundy, and for some reason he said, John, you got to tell me more about this Dean Douglas character. How come it didn't work? It seemed like such a great <laughs> idea. And I said, that's really a question for Shane. I told him <laughs> Dean Douglas was an awesome gimmick. 
Well, we, we've, you know, we've talked about this, uh, you know, off and on throughout the 75 episodes, but, you know, I, I have no doubt that the character would have worked as originally pitched to me as I was told to have autonomy over, uh, especially in the area of the grade giving. Uh, it was pitched to me as being a legitimate uh, uh, collegiate type character. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the professor that y'all hated, you know, that everybody hated that, you know, because he, he knew his shit and uh, was grading in that intelligence. Uh, that was the way it was pitched to me originally. And it was to be legitimate grades, A, B, C, D, F. I was told that I would be sent a video each week and I would have the, the autonomy, the leeway to watch that video and decide what should be pointed out. You know, what would be in the teleprompter that, uh, or the telestrator that I could then point out as being wrong with that match. Uh, I think we did that for one week and then it became, I was told what would be pointed out. And then they tried to give me script. Like, this is what you'll say. And I said, I'm not going to do that because I can't, I don't read from a script. I, you know, my stuff has to come off the top of my head. So they backed off on that, but then Vince insisted that the grade what he gave and I remember there one time was a TT for terrible twosome and just ridiculous cornball cartoon bullshit like that you know a lot like the other stuff you see in WWE today and uh, you know it, it couldn't work you can't be serious on one hand and then turn around and at the very end say I'm giving you a grade of TT for terrible twosome uh, you know because if you were the most serious son of a bitch on the planet as soon as you say that, everybody's going to start chuckling. You know, it, it, you know, it, it's it's pushing the pull, and uh, you know, where it became almost certain to me that it was an intentional undermining of the character was when he told me, of all people, you know, somebody that was known and renowned for his oratory to speak in a monotone voice, uh, and his reasoning being that he told me that when he was in college, he had a professor that spoke in a monotone voice and it drove him nuts. He hated that professor. And I said, well, the difference Vince was you couldn't get up and walk out of that classroom. Uh, somebody watching TV can, and most certainly will flip away when they see this character and they know he's going to be speaking in a boring voice, uh, and building to some stupid, uh, TT type of grade. And, uh, he never got it. Uh, I'm sure he got it, but he pretended like he didn't get it. So, uh, I I agree. I, I think the character certainly had legs. I wouldn't have gone to do it if I didn't think that. But very, very quickly, once I got there, it became apparent that that character was not going to be given the chance to get over. And why you weren't paired with Bob Backlund at that point, I don't know if it was going that way. I think you guys might have had something. I, I could be wrong, but I, I feel like there was some kind of interaction. But I mean, he was doing the dictionary, and you were telling me a story the other day about him basically uh, walking by you <laughs> at the dictionary and you giving him some yeah. uh, some pointers. So natural pairing at that point. Well, the very first night, well, I, I don't know it was the first night, but very early on, it was the night, the first night that I wrestled Razor Ramon, uh, and I believe it was Lansing, Michigan, or somewhere in Michigan. I'm pretty sure it was Lansing. And uh, they called us into the room, and who they called into the room, uh, Bill Watts called into the room, was me and Scott, uh, X-Pac, and Bob Backlund. 
So I think there was some idea of having the two connected, those two characters connected in some way. Uh, you know, if you remember, like when Backlund was world champion, they made a, a big to-do about his collegiate background and, you know, legitimacy that Bob Backlund had. And uh, quite often talked about that. So I, I, I'm guessing there was probably some connection there. But there was that was early on, and then Bob wasn't with me for the longest time. And toward the tail end, there was something uh, done w with Bob. I, it was at least twice that I can remember that they had Bob doing something with me. Uh, and I, I can't rem I, I don't know why it was never explained to me why he would be with me or why he wasn't with me. It was just like, like I said, in those occasions where he was brought in uh, to the room and uh, was, as I recall off the top of my head in the Lansing show, I, I can't remember if he was at ringside for the match, but there, he, there was nothing instrumental in the match for him or X-Pac. Uh, you know, sort of like there were just bodies there at ringside. Um, so, you know, you'd have to ask Vince when we have Vince on the podcast. Yeah, coming soon, 2019. <laughs> it's going to be a big year. <laughs> we got we got big plans to kick off 2019. First one, v VKM. I'd love to have him on the show, but I, I, I would just warn our listeners, I wouldn't hold my breath if I were you, because <laughs> uh, me and Vince just sort of just don't get along very well. It's, yeah, it's really crazy. I'm sort of offended. It's been at least 10 years since I've gotten a birthday card or a Christmas card from that jackass. I'm, my feelings are starting to be hurt. <laughs> I'm going to use the Wayne Campbell from Wayne's World uh, analogy and say when, monkey, <laughs> when monkeys fly out of my butt. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, maybe twice. Well, we get, that'll get Dustin Vincent coming on. In the words of Mr. Backlund, never capitulate, Shane. <laughs> you know it baby so we'll leave you with that and especially if you buy a book never capitulate but let's move into what we've got on on the topic on the slate here for today and it actually dials back to when we were in philly last year for icons at the same time of the year almost exactly one year ago uh the triple threat podcast made a little headlines uh, coming out of that icons because of the NWA and their reemergence and what they wanted to do. And we're going to go back in the, uh, the time machine here, getting our triple threat DeLorean head back to 2017 where the, where the NWA finally was coming back after Billy Corgan had bought the rights to the NWA and gotten together with his little brain trust. They were bringing back the NWA and they were bringing their NWA champion, which at the time was veteran Tim Storm, bringing him to Philadelphia for the House of Hardcore show, where they were documenting every move that champion Mr. Tim Storm did make while he was in Philadelphia. Now, Tim Storm, if you don't know, like I said, journeyman, veteran, um, basically based out of like the, the, I would say, Midwest towards the southern area of the country if you never really saw him has done stuff on a national stage but more based in that area of the company uh, country so for him to be in philadelphia and the nwa documenting it big deal so as they're filming it what do they do they're talking to people backstage they want to get your thoughts on the nwa coming back they want to know what do you think of tim storm as a champion and they ask all these different people 
And when they got to our co-host, the franchise, Mr. Douglas declined politely to not participate in this filming and thus became another chapter in your history with the NWA. That was a year ago already, Shane, and here we are. We're going to talk about the one-year report card of the NWA. Lies, all lies. I don't know what you're talking No, I, 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 I do know what you're talking about very well. Uh, so what's your question? Well, so here we are. We're one year removed from all that stuff, and they've obviously gone on to do some things. They've, uh, they've had their own event. They had an NWA 70th anniversary event at the Nashville Fairgrounds. They participated in a lot of independent shows over the last few years. They've, uh, last year, they've had a few champions, including Nick Aldis, who you know very well, Cody Rhodes. And uh, they've, they've really changed the perception of what the brand is nwa was but still obviously a slow burn a slow build to maybe what their grand you know idea is going to be so what we're going to do here in this report card is kind of go through a few aspects of the nwa and we sent you a couple things to look over and obviously we've talked about them a lot you know so to say that right off the bat we've talked about them countless amount of times on this show in the last year starting with that whole entire ordeal in philadelphia uh, which I guess that's where we should start. I mean, because that's really where I'm going to kick off the NWA's reemergence is is kind of getting off on the wrong foot with you. Do you think that that was a kind of a bad starting point for them in wanting to get you involved right off the bat? Well, to me, you know, because of my history with the NWA belt, that's the kind of thing you discussed beforehand. Uh, you don't bring a camera up and say, Hey, by the way, when it's coming to the NWA belt, what do you have to say, Shane? Um, uh, that would require a, a pre-negotiation, uh, discussion of parameters if I wanted to do it at all. And, you know, just like when Vince McMahon, uh, contacted me to, to do uh 20th anniversary, the belt throwdown, uh, I felt strongly then that he had had nothing to do with that. Uh, and so shouldn't, uh, be able to figure out a way to make money for himself on it. Uh, and I feel strongly the same way uh, for Corgan or anybody else. Now, that said, if somebody, if Vince Mann had contacted me and, and entered into a real negotiation to do it officially and above board and, and did it properly, uh, it might have been a different outcome. I, I can't say for certain, but it certainly would have been a lot more likely to have a more positive outcome than, than just, you know, the way that it was done. And certainly the way that that was done with me, uh, was so sub professional, uh, but so far below professional that, uh, it, it, it spoke to me in volumes. You know, I don't think they intended it to be that way, but, uh, you know, it, how would uh, you know if we turned it around? How would Billy Corgan like if uh, somebody walked up and said, "Hey, uh, we're going to show about you know your your first big hit album. I'm going to put out a DVD. I'm going to make a lot of money on it. <laughs> and uh, how about you come over and sit down and talk to me? You know, it's uh, I don't think he'd probably take very kindly to that, nor should he. Uh, and uh, I felt offended in the same way. Uh, and I, again, I don't think they intended it to be to be you know, uh, except, you know, to be handled that, that way or be, uh, uh, in, in inferred that way by me, but it, 
it, it was nonetheless. And uh, to me, that was such an iconic period of ECW history. Uh, it literally launched Extreme, and you know, in, in many ways, changed the business for to this day. In, in many ways, uh, some good, some bad, but it certainly had impact. And you know, that's not the kind of thing you come up and say, "Hey, by the way, you're you know, you're on this show with somebody else that we're doing business with, so we have the right to put a camera in your face and interview you." No, 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 no. That maybe with the other kids in the room you can do that with. Uh, again, it was just so subpar professional, you know, so below professional that, uh, you know, they, it's why it got the same response that Vince Man got. Yeah, it was so weird, too. And then they went ahead and, and took some, like, stealth footage of you just kind of hanging out in the back as you were getting ready to do whatever it was you were going to be doing that night. And, uh, you know, kind of played it off like you were big time in them, which obviously what you're saying right there is a, as a, yeah. as a long time veteran of the business, you know that, yeah, if you're going to do something like this, where you're bringing back uh, a product and you want to channel the history, then you have to do that ahead of time and know that, Hey, Shane's going to be in town. Why don't we sit down with Shane? We'll put a backdrop behind him. We'll, we'll have it look professional rather than just kind of crash him and be like, all right, you're standing in front of a uh, production box, and uh, that's fine. We'll just uh, we'll do it where we are. We'll gun and run. You know, we'll uh, we'll just do it as it is. But I think that was a bad start for them uh, right off the bat. And to pick that spot, ECW Arena, it was going to come up uh, whether you were there or not. But the rebranding itself. So what we've seen from the rebranding is they are going to be uh, very uh, relatable to the social media crowds. They're posting videos on YouTube. They're building them up via Twitter, via Instagram, via Facebook, wherever they can post stuff, uh, getting a lot of websites behind them. Uh, what do you think about that in terms of their branding? Have you seen the NWA being talked about more over the last year? I hadn't. Uh, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about this. We were BSing at the, uh, at the Icon convention. I hadn't heard anybody talking about TNA, uh, Ring of Honor, uh, even NXT. It's like the, you know, as we, you know, we, we talked ad nauseum about the numbers drop in the business, right? Uh, and I think that's probably a, a big part of what's at play here. Uh, it used to be, as you guys remember when you were younger, uh, every week, the, 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 you know, the water cooler talk was, hey, just see what happened on Raw or Nitro or SmackDown or uh, Thunder or ECW or something that you were talking wrestling. Uh, when I would walk to the Pittsburgh airport, you know, I'd have people yelling across, you know, the, you know, TSA at me, Hey, you know, hey kick Taz's ass or Taz is going to kick your ass or who, whatever. But there was always some kind of comment. I haven't had a wrestling comment at the Pittsburgh airport in, in years. Uh, and I haven't heard fans. There wasn't one fan that came up uh, at the icons convention and said, hey, did you catch Ring of Honor? Did you catch NWA? Did you catch TNA? Did you catch NXT? Uh, not even having seen WWE. There was the only discussion about wrestling was about what had transpired in that building with ECW 20 years prior. Uh, I, I didn't get any other talk about anything other than that. The, the only other topic that came up in wrestling uh, in the wrestling realm 
was uh, when people would allude to the line that David Arquette had. Uh, and David and I had a, a, a real brief, you know, exchange. I hadn't spoken to him in, you know, since since he was there in, in WCW. Uh, he stopped by the table as he was walking out, and we, you know, had a you know several minute conversation. It was great to catch up with him. Uh, but that was really the only thing that any fan outside of ECW that any fan at that Icons convention had asked me about. Uh, and I, again, I think that just speaks of the, the precipitous drop we've seen in the numbers of people watching wrestling. You know, when you, when you talk about 20 years ago, I'm guessing the population was probably 15, 20 million less than it is now. So somewhere around 300 million people, give or take. And 52 million, one-sixth of them were watching some form of professional wrestling every single week in this country, excluding the replays over 15% of the population. Now you look and you see that we're somewhere in the neighborhood of about, well, what's, what's 2 million out of 300 million, you know, one half of 1%. That's a pretty big drop. It's a pretty precipitous drop in, in, in the numbers. Uh, and I ain't no mathematician, obviously, but, uh, you know, if, if like I always tell people, if I'm selling watching McCulloch's, I'd rather sell whatchamacallits to 52 million people than I would 2 million people. But I think now you're getting to the point where the numbers are so scant uh, in, the, in relation to the overall population that where, you know, one in six was watching before. Now it's, you know, one half out of 100 uh, watching. You know, pretty likely you could walk through a day or a week or a month or a year and not run across somebody to talk about wrestling. Pretty unlikely that you can do that, especially in this business when you're relating to thousands of fans per week that you're not going to run into somebody that's going to bring up wrestling. So that's what I think we're seeing at work here. But no, I haven't had anybody uh, bring the NWA up to me, uh, invoke it in a discussion, not on Twitter, uh, not on social medias, uh, Facebook, uh, not in person, uh, which I think is not a good uh, uh, reflection on where our industry sits, especially for those those non WWE companies. Yeah, and when it comes to you, people still want to talk about the same three guys. They want to talk about Flair, they want to talk about Shawn Michaels, and they want to talk about Vince McMahon. So obviously, in one year, if you're not hearing anything else, that's uh, that's a telltale sign. Now you've also got in terms of the championships, and that's what I, I really. I kind of want to gun in on this one. So they reinstated the NWA National Heavyweight Championship, and that's that's held right now by Willie Mack, who is a monster of a man, and uh, he does his thing. I love Willie. Yeah, he's great. He is uh, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete. The NWA Women's Championship is held by somebody you know very well, and Jazz, which is very cool to to see Jazz as the NWA nice. Women's Champion. Yeah. But then you've got the NWA title. <laughs> so they're rebranded. We've seen them trying to make waves. And they've had three champions in a year. So it's been Tim Storm. It's been Nick Aldis, now twice, and Cody Rhodes. To me, that's two times too many if you're trying to get a product off the ground. So, Shane, what do you think about in terms of the championships as we head into this first year? Well, it, it, you know, until you get the brand established, the last thing you want to be doing is moving the belt around on multiple personalities, especially if those personalities are here, they're not here 
they may be here, they may not be here. Uh, you know, it just seems to me that you should drill down on that. I think, and again, this is just, you know, the, the veteran in me talking and the fan in me, you know, since five, six years old. Uh, when I was a kid, we had champions that were persistent champions. So, you know, Bruno was champion at one point for, what, 12 years? Uh, 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 was champion for seven, I think. Uh, you know, even the interim champions were, were there, you know, for some period of time. It wasn't just, you know, every other weekend somebody else was a champion. And, 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 and it's not just NWA. You know, my God, how many in the last, you know, five years, how many people have been a champion of one of the 65 or 67 belts that the WWE has? Uh, it just waters it down and it makes it really difficult for a fan to, uh, to sink their teeth into and, and latch on because, uh, if they start to get behind one of the champions and then all of a sudden there's somebody else's champion, uh, and this is no qualitative thing saying that Nick Aldis or Cody Rhodes or uh, Willie Mack or whoever is better than the other one or this one's better than that one. This is not a qualitative thing. It, this is a, a standard thing where you're, you're trying to establish a title. That title has to become ubiquitously known uh, almost as being one and the same thing. So, uh, you know, when if you were watching uh, the WWF back in the mid-70s, it was pretty likely that you knew that Bob Backlund was a champion. Why? Because he had been the champion. And he had taken on all comers and, you know, defeated them and, and you know, got to the point where it even got to the point, like for me, because I was at that time, you know, uh, uh, a big mark for the, for the heels. And so I always wanted to see Backlund lose just at that point, because I wanted to see a heel win. And, uh, when they wouldn't, it would drive me crazy, but the, the rest assured the reason Backlund held that belt was because the, 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 the venues were full. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it, it, like the, the title and the title holder sort of become one and the same thing you know, to the fans. But that's something that's born out of longevity and time, not, you know, overturning the belt every, you know, two or three months or less and thinking that the next person is going to get over more than the last one. Uh, <coughs> no champion is going to get that belt and, and, and immediately start filling houses uh, just because they've got the NWA belt around their waist. Uh, just, it, it just doesn't have that kind of panache, not yet. And until they make that belt seamless and ubiquitous with a person that's able to get out there and perform to the level that will excite the fans and get the fans talking. Uh, and I just don't see where that's going to be possible. Uh, I, I, I don't know how much money they're going to dump into this thing. But it's going to be next to impossible to get somebody to sign a long-term deal, uh, especially somebody that you want to carry a belt and establish a title. Pretty unlikely you're going to be able to do that on a on a weekly or a monthly basis. Uh, you know, I just I think they're handling it all wrong, and I don't believe that the social medias are the end-all, be-all 
to promotion of anything. I've never seen the social media by and of themselves successfully uh, uh, build any brand. Uh, I think they're great as an ancillary, an additional method of, of promotion, but certainly not as a primary, in my humble opinion. And now they're starting to come up with these quote-unquote pop-up shows, which is basically another promotion is running a show and they're just kind of on that show, but they're acting like it's this big pop-up event, but it's also being tied into another promotion. Do you think this is just kind of another way of them not really running a show, but kind of putting their name on it in, in a weird kind of exactly strategy? what it is. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. And so you go to an XYZ show uh, because they run local to where you are. And all of a sudden there's some NWA matches on it. It's pretty unlikely you're going to walk out of there and tomorrow be telling your friends at work or at school, Hey, last night, at the XYZ show, there was NWA matches there or that you're going to call it an NWA match. Uh, it's, it's, it's just watering it down too much. When you're building a brand, that brand has to become omnipresent in the, in the viewer's mind, uh, uh, succeed, succeeding or exceeding all others so that they're not saying, well, it's as good as, better than, or worse than the this one or that one. Uh, it, it, you've got to get it to a point where the fans are thinking, when they say the word wrestling, they're thinking of, in this case, the NWA, and when they say the NWA, they instantly think or see the face in their head of the person who carries that belt. And I, I would dare say that they've, they've not even come close to getting to that success yet. Hey, let's pause for one second to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Eat Your Coffee. Eat Your Coffee is a coffee company that was founded by coffee-deprived college students that pioneered a new category in caffeinated natural snacks. The company's first product line, Eat Your Coffee Bars, are a date-based snack bar caffeinated with fair trade coffee, which would be comparable to one cup, and made with real ingredients so you can feel good with every energizing bite. Eat Your Coffee snack bars are non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, kosher, 70% organic, and available in three delicious flavors, including fudgy mocha latte, salted caramel macchiato, and peanut butter mocha, my personal favorite. Now that is an energizing combination because they are on a mission to help get people energized with naturally caffeinated snacks made with real, ethically sourced ingredients. So if you want more information, head on over to www.eatyour.coffee, as well as follow them on Instagram, follow them on Facebook, follow them on Pinterest, and follow them on Twitter, and get all the information on how you can energize the moment with eat your coffee bars now nick aldis is the current nwa world champion a former protege of yours what do you think about him as nwa champion and kind of being a face me personally i like it i like him and i think he's great but what do you think former protege well i i think nick's great you know i, I think nick has all the skills he certainly has the look uh, outside the ring, he certainly has the intelligence uh, and the professionalism uh, that's required to do all that. Uh, I don't think it's anything that he's doing or not doing or, or that any fault falls on his shoulders. Uh, it's just, again, in the last year, how many of these pop-up shows has the NWA had? Uh, I don't know. They, they could have run shows, multiple shows every night for the last year. All I can say is I haven't heard any fan talking about them. And, uh, you know, that's just, if they have been running that many shows and the fans aren't talking about it, I would say that they're, they're, they're 
were swinging and missing. Uh, they need to really take a close look at what it is. Why are the people not talking about it? What? I don't believe it's anything Nick is doing because I, you know, Nick's a hell of a hand in the ring, and like I said, he certainly has the look and the professionalism and uh, the intelligence, all of that. You know, I I can't think of any deficit that Nick has. Uh, I would be willing to bet if I sat down and analyzed this that it's going to come down to. Uh, something the NWA is doing or not doing as opposed to p- placing the blame on any talent. I just, when they first had Tim Storm and they're doing all these videos and stuff, yeah, the video packages are good and stuff, but Tim Storm didn't kind of, first of all, he's older than you are right now, not to say that you shouldn't be NWA world champion right now, but he's older and doesn't have that career that you had, doesn't have the name that you built, uh, doesn't have the franchise moniker it doesn't have the mic skills so you got this guy with not that great of a background not that great of a career who's in his 50s it's almost like wow like who is this guy and why is he champ or nick aldis on the other other hand is almost like wow okay maybe they're turning the corner a bit with maybe getting a little bit smarter as far as whoever is in charge of, of, of booking and controlling the champion yeah, it could very well be. I don't know. I, again, I know Nick's been there for some time. Uh, he was at the show last year uh, working with them, and like the, the House of Park like, sort of crossed over. I think it was shortly after that that he went with them full time. Uh, and again, I don't place the blame on his shoulders, but when you are as immersed in the business as I am, uh, every weekend uh, dealing with you know, hundreds and thousands of fans. And during the week, you know, dealing with quite a few fans, you know, whether it's at the grocery store, the Walmart, uh, uh, the airport, you know, wherever, at the gym. Uh, and I've had nobody broach the subject of the NWA with me. Nobody's told me, hey, they're coming. Uh, have you seen them? What do you think about the NWA? There has not been one fan ask me one question about the NWA uh, since that House of Hardcore show. So, I, I mean, it's – what's the reason? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't analyze it that closely. Uh, I don't believe I get it on, on any network that I have here on my TV. But, I again, the, that I'm not hearing any fans talk about it. I think is a real kiss of death for them as an organization, because now after having been at this for well over a year, um, you know, let's face it, Billy Corgan's quite a big name uh, to be involved with it. I'm sure he's dumped some serious money into it. And the fact that not a single fan has asked me a question about the NWA in the last year, (coughs) especially considering my connection, you know, with the NWA belt throwdown. Uh, hey, Shane, what do you think about you know the NWA coming back or you know this person being champion or what do you think about them you know resurrecting the title list? It hasn't been one of those, not one. And I just you know in, in our business, you know like like I used to always say, talk good about me, talk bad about me, just talk about me. Uh, you know I, I don't care if you're you know calling me everything you know but a but a wrestler. You know, because if you're calling me every name in the book, you're you're certainly expending time on me, and I'm writing space in your head. If you ain't talking about me at all, good or bad, that means I'm pretty much irrelevant. 
and that's not a good place to be in professional wrestling. Do you think that this way that they're kind of doing things where they're not really running shows, but then they're kind of doing shows and they're not really going, you know, quote unquote, all in, so to speak, on the NWA. They're kind of like almost half-assing it. Do you think that's really a way to kind of run a wrestling promotion or at least get no. one off the ground? No, for sure. Hell no. Uh, you can't, you know, uh, let's go back and look. And I hate to do it because they're, you know, of course, going to invoke that. Uh, let's go back and look at ECW. Uh, imagine if the night that I threw down the NWA title, instead of doing that, I had maintained the title and became the NWA champion, and ECW became a vassal state, a vassal promotion to the NWA. Uh, I'm pretty certain ECW would not have gotten over to the level that it did. I think it would have gotten over very strong in the local market, but there's no way if, if we had become latched on to the NWA, uh, you know, a, a subordinate to the NWA that they would have ever allowed us to get to that point outside of the Philadelphia markets, you know? So, uh, what was instrumental in ECW success was the, the, as Taz would later term it, the FTW, the fuck the world attitude that we had that started that night in the NWA title tournament. It got people talking from day one. And from day one forward, people were talking about this little company in Philadelphia that could. Uh, even though you couldn't get it on your local cable, you were trading tape, you were reading about it online, uh, you know, and, and Meltzer or Keller Sheets. Uh, there was a definite buzz started almost from the very beginning on ECW. ECW was its own entity. Uh, now imagine if we would have just said, oh, hey, by the way, here's uh, Shane Douglas on Dennis Corluzo's show in Philadelphia, and he's the ECW champion. And here's Shane Douglas on this company in Pittsburgh, and here's Shane Douglas on this company in Chicago, but he's ECW champion. Nobody would have ever remembered ECW. Uh, nobody would have ever followed ECW or let alone chanted ECW to the, you know, with the fervor they still do today. Uh, and so you draw the comparisons, you know, one worked very clearly and one doesn't seem to be working very clearly and you decide which is which. I just don't get kind of where they're headed. It seems like a really, really slow build, but it, to me it feels like they're definitely uh, half-assing it a little bit, so to speak, where, where they're not kind of going full bore, and, you know, they're, they're, they're on other people's shows, and you know, they had that one NWA show in Nashville, and it, and it seemed like everything um, worked well, and it seemed like it was a good show, but obviously, you know, you had Jim Cornette and Shivani, and you know, the old school guys really kind of selling it for him, and obviously, Nick Aldis on the show, and and everything else, but mm -hmm. do, you do you think that you know long term that any of that kind of stuff doing now is going to be able to work? Because it doesn't seem like it's a long term possibility. Well, the one thing I can say with certainty, and, and this is you know excuse for uh, for Billy Corgan, but to do this on a big level is exorbitantly expensive. Uh, you can't just come out of the gate and say I got a couple million bucks in my pocket. I'm going to put forward to this and 
that we're going to get this thing over really big and, and make it a, a national uh, product. It, it's almost, it, it's not almost, it's, it's totally, utterly impossible to do that uh, with that amount of resource. Uh, I don't know how much money Billy Corgan's willing to put into it, planning on putting into it, or has put into it. But I would be willing to take a real stab in the dark and say it's been far less than, than what was necessary to do that, That which would then be the predictor as to why he's running with other companies and, you know, these uh, pop-up shows and, and whatever else. Uh, a really unconventional and difficult way to try to establish, or in this case, reestablish uh, a brand that the fans still see, even today, as they're running events and, and trying to get it back off the ground, the fans today still see that as what I called it 20 some years ago, a company that had died, uh, now decades ago. And, uh, barring something really big, I don't see a way to successfully turn that around unless you have a shitload of resources you're willing to, to expend towards that, uh, buying uh, syndicated market presence uh, around the country, running consistent events in those towns. Uh, and again, that takes a lot of money, and I just don't see that as... If they haven't done it in the first year, I doubt they're going to do it in the second year. Um, and again, I, I keep going back to the total lack of anybody talking about it. It certainly has no buzz Uh at least in the circles that I'm run, running. Uh, so it seems like it's pretty much already dead out of the gate. I feel like the lack of events is, is definitely killing and the lack of kind of uh, a plan, if you will. I mean, there's, I mean, they may have one internally, but you know, as far as what we're seeing, it just looks like, and, and even from us who, you know, follow the business pretty damn closely, just looks like they don't have a plan. And, hard to execute it and, and really make it look like it's something and make it look like it's a company, make it look like it's a big business. If there really is no plan, according to what we're seeing and we don't see any shows lined up and, Oh, we're going to have a big 2019. Yeah. That's nice to say it, but you got to have some stuff out there, right? I mean, you got to start promoting stuff. Well, absolutely. And you guys, you said a second ago, how, how close do you guys follow this stuff? Uh, real quickly at the top of your head, where was the last place the NWA ran a show? Uh, the only one I can think of is that Nashville show, and that's like the the last time. And I don't even know when they have one coming up. So it's so what you're saying is you don't they could have had a show last night for all you know, but you don't know about it, right? Uh, right. That's the last one you're aware of. That's what I'm talking about. You, you know, you guys are very representative of what fans used to be in this country. You know, the fans that ate, breathed, slept professional wrestling really were in the know on the topic. Uh, and, and in large part, that's because it was so ubiquitous back then. I mean, it was on how many different stations and how many different promotions. Uh, but still, the fact that uh, you two guys, with as, as much as you work in, in, as, as you do, dabbling around the business, that you wouldn't know the answer to that question right off the top of your head tells me everything we need to know plus and yep plus the last event they had which was the 70th anniversary show the big show in nashville came with a lot of production screw-ups and a lot of streaming mm. issues 
So the last thing on somebody's mind that, that may have just stumbled upon it or may have been interested in it or maybe the Cornette and Shivani, the fact that they're on it, got some old school fans interested, they kind of came off a little piss poor because they weren't ready. You know what I mean? Like they weren't prepared. Sure. It almost seems almost seems like maybe they don't have the right wrestling people in the right places to do what they want to do because if that issue is going to happen, you're going to have production issues and that. All that stuff needs to be nipped in the butt, not at your big 70th anniversary show. For sure. And remember, like your, you know, your, uh, uh, your first impression is the lasting impression. So if you were getting people to tune in for that big 70th anniversary show, uh, which is sort of a, uh, a misnomer because that company, that version of the NWA died in what, uh, 89, 86, 87, somewhere in there. Uh, so just because you have a company that you're calling the NWA doesn't mean that'd be like, if I start calling myself, uh, uh, Hulk Hogan tomorrow, does that mean that I was the champion how many times he was and that I'm Hulk and is not running wild with me because I'm calling myself Hulk Hogan. Uh, it, it's, you know, you know, the wrestling fans are pretty savvy and especially today with, with all the social medias and all the, you know, the instant access of information, uh, you know, much, much different than whenever I was younger. And, you know, where you had to wait for a, a monthly magazine, uh, to get the work aspect uh, of what they were going to give you. Uh, so I, I, I don't think that there's any fans out there that are saying, Hey, this is real 70th anniversary of this. But then you put this show on and, you know, you bring in the cornets and the, and the guys that really do give you the beck and back legitimate step back to that version of the NWA. And you're hit with all kinds of production problems. That is a real kiss of death. That is the kind of thing that you, you just hope and pray doesn't happen and rarely does happen uh, if you've planned out properly but again to plan out properly and have the the right professionals on hand to make sure those things don't happen requires assets capital and it's very very expensive to do and especially to do properly so you know you're already telling me with having seen none of this or heard any of it that you know they've already shot themselves in the foot more than once and how many times can they do that before the fans say eh I'm going to go back to NXT or Ring of Honor or TNA or WWE or <coughs> or whatever, or just maybe stop watching altogether, uh, which seems to be the, 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 more the uh, the uh, paradigm today. Um, I don't know, uh, but you know, just based off of what you're telling me here, it tells me that there it's going to be a lot harder to get that thing off the ground than there than they than it was a year ago. It, it it's weird. It's almost like they were trying to get some momentum. Obviously, Cody Rhodes at all in, uh, obviously months ago, but he briefly won the world title. Then uh, you know, Aldis wins it back, and they kind of seemed like they were almost getting some momentum there. Almost getting a, a little bit of a rub. Obviously, Cody, one of the most popular wrestlers in the world right now. But it's it's almost right. like I don't know. It's always kind of fading with me because it, it, it almost comes off as not a real company you know? like they're not really running shows they're kind of just there what's your perception of, of the NWA I mean, is it different at all 
or you kind of get the same vibe I'm getting. It's almost like they're not not really there, even though they're trying to pretend that they're there. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. Uh, that's you know uh, again the fact that with my connection to the NWA belt that uh, that not a single fan has asked me one question about the NWA in the last year. I think is really very very telling. You know, it's, it's certainly unscientific, certainly unofficial, but it would tell me that if they're not talking to me about the NWA, they're probably not talking to many other people about the NWA. I can't imagine somebody's going to Sam and saying, hey, you see the NWA show, what'd you think? Um, or Mikey Whipwreck or Jerry Lynn or whoever. Uh, I, I would completely agree and concur with what you just said, that you know, it, it, it seems like they're giving it an effort, but a half-hearted effort. And that's probably born out of a limit of resources and capital. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it ain't an easy thing to establish a promotion today. Uh, it's certainly made much harder if you have limited resources and capital to do it with. It definitely seems like he is definitely a Billy Corgan, definitely a big fan, definitely invested, definitely wanted to get into the wrestling business. And if, you know, if you really follow it, he obviously was in impact. He was uh, some part of uh, maybe a small owner or some sort of benefactor where he eventually would invest some money and then become a part owner. But obviously Dixie, your old girl, she uh, <laughs> screwed that part part up. Uh, then I really? The well, yeah. Yes. That is Imagine that. Rumor. Dixie Carter screwing something up. Wow. That's a, <laughs> That's hard to believe. <laughs> Imagine, I can't believe that. And then, you know, the rumors, uh, Corgan um, was interested in Ring of Honor, and he's interested in this and that. So it's almost like this just almost fell in his lap a little bit, this NWA thing. It's almost like it wasn't his first choice. If he, if he had his brothers, he would have been a co-owner of Impact. It almost seems like this kind of landed in his lap, and he's kind of just playing it by ear right now. You, have you, you know, obviously with Dixie and stuff, have you heard that he was interested in, in, in other things and the, and the NWA kind of just fell into his lap a bit? Well, I knew he was, he was interested in, in doing something, continuing something on with, with TNA, um, and got a really foul taste in his mouth from, you know, what Dixie had pulled on him. And then that's completely understandable. Uh, my question would be, and again, completely from the outside, don't, haven't spoken to anybody about this stuff. Uh, who is his brain trust? Who's his wrestling brain trust helping him with the NWA? So far, the only person that I really know is, is been really helping him is Dave Lagana. And he does a great job with the actual like videos and the production and the editing and the post-production. And mm, he really, sure. that is one thing that, that they do really strong. And I think that, um, if you're, you know, another wrestling company, you almost want to copy that or steal that or somehow, you know, um, get Lagana on a retainer or something. He's been doing a great job with that stuff, but I don't know if he has anybody else as far as wrestling wise and booking wise. And you know, you get certain guys that know certain things about the business, but you don't want to have that person talk about booking or who should be champion or, or what they need to do with the shows. I feel like Lagana is great in his role as far as, as production, which is a huge role because you're editing and you're filming sure. hours upon hours of stuff. 
So I don't really know if he has anybody else helping him. Well, and and that wouldn't surprise me because, uh, you know, what I do know of, of Billy was that, you know, he prides himself on having a pretty good head on his shoulders for uh, creativity. And let's face it, his music uh, career certainly um, underscores that. Um, but this business is, and I've said this 10 million times in my life, this business is unlike any other business on the planet. It ain't the music business. It ain't business. Uh, you know, that if you've got an MBA, you're going to come in and be a successful wrestling promoter. Uh, it, it requires a convergence of several very unique skill sets. Entertainment is a part of it. Uh, writing and booking is another part of it. But I really, honest to God in my bones, believe that for a wrestling promotion to be successful, it has to have somebody that understands the nuances of our business, almost demanding that there's been somebody that's been in the ring, that's been successful in performing in the ring, and uh, understands what it is when you've been kicked in the head and you still have 20 minutes to go on a Broadway and can't get your cobwebs out of your head, but you still have 20 minutes to go. Um, those types of things, you know, and, and there's a lot of examples like that. Uh, you're going through the curtain and, and you know, you're, you've planned for a 20 or 30 minute match and they tell you, you've got three minutes, you know, take it home in three. Uh, okay. That you've got to really quickly on the fly, eliminate 99% of what you had planned and figure out a way to do that to make it make sense. So the family, so, so the fans that spent their hard earned dollars to come to that show, get their money's worth out of your segment. And, and again, there's a thousand other examples, probably 10,000 other examples I can give like that. But if you've never been in that position and had to, uh, wing it, you know, on any of those two examples I just gave, and then, like I said, a thousand others, then how can you tell somebody, that's going to the ring, what they need to do to improve their performance, uh, or how they can, you know, have to shorten their match, but how they can still make it impactful. You can't any more than I would be able to tell Billy Corgan how to go out and write a song or hit album or make a, 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 a live concert more exciting. Uh, I've never been on a stage, never once wrote an album or recorded a song. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that if I would go up to Billy and start telling him, well, here's what you should do on your next album and for your next concert tour, I'm pretty sure if he were polite, he might smile and say, okay, that sounds great. Thank you. If he was being real with me, he'd probably say, get the fuck out of here. You don't know the first damn thing you're talking about. So pretty much the same way I feel flipping it around. Uh, I take offense. When somebody tells me, like Vince McMahon, that we can hire a 24-year-old writer out of Hollywood, and he or she can do a great job of writing wrestling, because, hey, it's just all fake anyway. Okay, well, how's that worked out for Vince in the last 10 years? Uh, you know, so the fact that Billy Corgan has no wrestling brain trust around him uh, tells me that, aside from all the issues about capital, lack of capital, et cetera, uh, that's what's telling me right there why nobody has asked me a question about the NWA in the last year. Um, you know, it's it's condescending as hell to think that regardless of how successful you are in another genre, uh, that means that 
Brady to step over and rest and say, hey, it's just all fake anyway, right? Well, again, how's that worked out for him in the last year? How's it worked out for Vince in the last 10 years uh, on the quality of his products? Forget the business side of it because he's got an incredible, probably one of the best honed business teams in the on the planet. <clears throat> so I'm talking about the actual quality of the product with Vince. Uh, how's it worked out for TNA? How's it been working out for Ring of Honor? It's not just a question of sitting down and saying, hey, anybody that's been a fan can write a good guy and a bad guy and write an angle and a storyline. Probably pretty much any intelligent fan could do that. Can they do it successfully? That's the difference. And even having been in the business doesn't guarantee, uh, you know, look when Flair was booking in WCW. Um, Arn Anderson has told me more than once that he wouldn't book if his life depended on it. Uh, it, it takes a very different type of thinking process. But then look at someone like Dusty Rhodes, both vastly successful in the ring, vastly successful as a booker, uh, same as uh, uh, Bill Watts, same as Paul Heyman. Uh, but they had extensive experience in the business, in Paul's case as a manager, in Bill's case, uh, first as a wrestler, then as a promoter, uh, but he also had been uh, brought up under uh, uh, Eddie Graham and learned from Eddie Graham. So <laughs> none of these guys was just some guy off the street that became, you know, a big, great wrestling promoter. They were, they pretty much had attended the University of Hard Knocks uh, for their entire professional lives. Uh, pretty much everybody that ever became a great booker has that in common in the background. All right, Shane, we have to do this because, you know, you were the dean. You were Dean Douglas, one of the greatest gimmicks in the history of the business. So we have to get the dean cap on, <laughs> and you have to grade the NWA over the last year. What do you have to do? The classic classroom style of Dean Douglas. Give us a little snippet. Give us a grade for the NWA over the last year. Definition. Failure. Uh, I give the NWA over its lack of performance over the last year the grade of MF. And now you got to tell me what you think MF stands for. This is the franchise talking now. Now, is this motherfucker or is this one of the Vince's horrible... Oh. Uh, bit one of can, can I take a guess? Let me take a guess. Yeah, you take a swing. Massive failure. Close. Miserable failure. Ah, I did. That. Uh. I, 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 I did that to Vince the very last time I performed as the dean, giving a grade. Uh, Blackjack Lonzo was my agent, and we were in Erie, PA, and Vince kept, you know, throwing down, you know, over the IFB, uh, you know, uh, what, what, what grades are you going to get? What grades are you going to get? What grades are you going to give? And Blackjack keeps giving me the look, and we're getting ready to go live in thirty seconds and twenty seconds, and I keep telling him like, I don't know, I don't know, you're like. So I got it. I got it. You're telling me, hold on, hold on. So Vince is panicking, right? So we go live to tape, no way to correct. And I get to the point of giving the grade and I say, I give him a grade of, and the long pregnant pause, MF. <laughs> and the franchise laughed. <laughs> and you're Vince going, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? Get ready to cut his mic. Get ready to cut his mic. And I wanted the motherfuck so bad. <laughs> it was, it was like right there. And I thought, well, you know, it's probably just, take my ball and go home, right? And I gave it the old miserable failure. And 
you could almost hear Vince sigh of relief over the uh, over the IFB. But yeah, I would say that uh, I will reinvoke the MF miserable failure thus far uh, for the NWA. Well, there you go. See, straight from the mouth of the former dean, Mr. Shane Douglas. Well, Shane, this was a lot of fun to kind of uh, tie it back into uh, last year's show and, you know, tie up some loose ends from that. That was uh, that was an interesting little ride that we went on. And obviously this year is coming to a close, another uh, wonderful year in the books. And we look forward to a big 2019. But what we're going to do in terms of the schedule, we're going to have one more show that's going to be brand new uh, coming up uh, next week. And then we will be closing out the year with a couple of the, uh, the the greatest moments in the last year to come forward on this show. We're going to put out some, uh, I love to do this, a little best ofs. This is like my uh, Chad specialty where I get to dive into a lot of, all. I picture myself with all the tapes, you know what I mean, wrapped around me, you know, like coming off. <laughs> I picture that, but uh, it's, a, it's a little gift that I like to give back, but it's been another, you know, great episode here. Really appreciate all the uh, the stuff we were able to dive into with this uh, look at the NWA one year later. So we hope you enjoyed, and we will be getting to Ask Franchise Anything on the next show because we kind of bled over in terms of the amount of time that we were going to be going tonight. So we will save that for next week. But if you want to get in on it, send in your questions to us on Twitter at the3threatpod, at the franchise SD, at 2manpowertrip, or at wrestlingpal. Or if you want to take the uh, the now snail mail approach to it, which is just email, you can send it to the triple threat pod at gmail.com. What that gives you the chance to do is give you give us more of a detailed question, which we did receive this week and uh, very close to putting it on air, but we'll save it for the next show. So please join us every single week here for the Triple Threat Podcast. That'll wrap us up for this coming weekend. Shane, you have a big match coming up. This weekend and talking about the NWA title, 25 years coming in 2019 that you threw down that title. And this weekend, you will look across the ring at a familiar face. Yeah, the the guy that I defeated for the NWA title uh, in a really, really hard match. Uh, the building was about 114 or 15 degrees. Uh, it was my third match of that night in about two hours. Uh, and it was against none other than Two Cold Scorpio. Uh, so this weekend at Keystone Championship Wrestling in uh, uh, outskirts of Philadelphia there, we will be uh, stepping back in the ring once again and reliving the NWA final that led to the NWA title throwdown. So uh, looking forward to it. And the one thing about Scorpio is he's always, always at the top of his game, always going to push you to your limit. And uh, looking forward to that, you know, looking forward to to reliving the, uh, the the memories of that final match, and you know, having a great match and then getting pushed. Like I know Scorpio is going to push me. Just watch out for that tumbleweed when he's coming off that top rope. He can still hit it, so watch out for that tumbleweed. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, on about five hundred other things, he can still hit. So. Uh, yeah, don't, don't need a reminder of that. <laughs> well, enjoy that, and it's going to be great there. Keystone Championship Wrestling uh, have had the chance to see a lot of the stuff they've been doing, and uh, very good stuff. So keep up the good work, and Shane, enjoy your weekend. That is enough out of us. We've got a lot coming in the works, and we will give you a little bit more details on it next week 
We've got the big TMPT Con 3 in May down in Richmond, and we've got our huge markout at the Meadowlands Convention in April, which is taking place about 20 minutes away from the venue that that big event that's like the Super Bowl of wrestling is happening on April 7th there in New Jersey. But we'll talk about that more next week and uh, give you some more details, a lot of stuff that's still uh, being finalized and coming about, and something you might like, Shane, with one of those shows. So we will uh, dive into that in the coming weeks, but mm. I'm going to hand it over to you, partner. Why don't you take us out of here? That beep is driving me crazy, but what the hell, we survived. And I think the man with the uh, the black uh, suits will be waiting for all three of us after we're done. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, hey, 75 episodes under our belt. Next week, we're going to call it the Spirit of 76, the last live triple threat podcast of 2018 as we close out a very big year. A lot of big things in 18. Looking forward to a bigger 19. Make sure you're here next week for the Spirit of 76, episode 76, that is, or get your ass franchised. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.